Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day to you dads out there. Thank you. I receive you. Thank you. Happy Father's Day to you dads. Uh, uh, at the end of service, uh, Pastor Pam and Pastor Brandon will um, come up and say something to the dads out here. So I want to just say Happy Father's Day. And I want to welcome those on the other side of the camera. Thanks for joining us here at Radiant Life. And uh, it's really dark over you guys. I can't see you. There it is. All right. There we go. Good job. Well, hey, we are jumping into a, a new se- What in the world? Y'all are messing with me. Hey, we're jumping into our teaching series, our summer series called Upside Down Kingdom. And uh, where's my brother? I'll get to you in a moment, okay? Are you prepared? Good. All right. Uh, some of you guys are like, what, who, who is he talking to? You'll find out here soon. Okay. Um, so our upside down kingdom, we're going to do a summer series, just looking at the kingdom of God. Pastor Josh kind of wrapped up our series, not wrapped up the series, well, wrapped up Acts chapter three together. If you were here last week, he wrapped it up. And what's cool about Acts chapter three is you begin to see the kingdom of God begin to expand through the church. Acts chapter two, Holy Spirit falls and ignites the church. It's what we sing, Pentecostal fire, right? In that moment, it lit the flame for the early church and now they can go out, make disciples and evangelize. In other words, be a witness for Jesus Christ to this lost and broken world. And then in Acts chapter three, we finally see the early church do what God has called them to do. They, got, they did the first miracle. They raised the guy that could not walk from birth and he starts walking in the name of Jesus. And then the rest of the chapter, Peter's talking and preaching again, repent and there's signs of Jesus and all this stuff. And you begin to see finally in Acts chapter three, what the early church begins to do. And now we're trying to understand as Jesus teaches, what is this kingdom that the early church is also helping usher in? It is an upside down kingdom compared to the kingdoms that you and I are used to here on this earth. And so many times Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, talks about the kingdom of heaven, but it's completely flipped to what the ancient culture knew what a kingdom was. In fact, Luke chapter four, verse 43, it reads this way, but he, referring to Jesus, said to them, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the, can we read those three words together? About the kingdom of God to the other towns also because I was sent for this purpose. So he's telling his disciples in the crowd, listen, I have to go preach about the kingdom of God to these other towns. I can't just stay in this one town forever. There's a kingdom of God that I got to go preach to all the other towns in the ancient world in Israel. Matthew uh, records this for us, what Jesus says. It says, from then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent because the, can we read those three words together? The kingdom of heaven has come near. So Jesus is saying, I have to go around to all these towns to preach the good news about this kingdom of God that I'm helping usher into this world. And I'm asking everyone, you got to repent. You have to, you are walking in this direction and you must have a 180 degree turn and walk into this direction back towards your heavenly father, back toward into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, what's amazing is how Jesus teaches 
the disciples how to pray. You know, in his prayer in Matthew chapter six, it's interesting of all things that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them. I don't know about you, but I would, I would, if I hung out with Jesus for three and a half years, I'd be like, Jesus, yo, teach me how to walk on water, right? It's pretty cool how you did that, right? Peter fell, haha, but teach me how to do it right, right? Or teach me how to be great, a great communicator like you, because you just draw the crowds in. It's amazing how you can draw all these principles in. It's just so awesome. Or tell me how to make blind men see. Like, that's pretty cool. But they didn't ask that. What'd they ask? Teach us to pray. See, the disciples saw something that Jesus did so differently. And they said, teach us to pray like you teach. Your communication with the Father is unreal. I want to know how you pray. And in it, what's known as the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, in it, Jesus teaches us this. He says, your what, friends? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I love this idea that Jesus is literally saying, God, your kingdom here on earth. Here's the problem with our faith today. We, are fan- we have some sort of fanatical fantasy about heaven, which I don't think is completely wrong. Please hear me. But so many times we want to get to heaven, right? I think, don't get me wrong, heaven's going to be awesome, amen? Like no more crying, no more sickness, no more disease. Like I can't wait for that day, right? No more pain, good. I don't have back pain anymore, hallelujah, amen, right? Don't got to deal with it anymore. Don't have to deal with brokenness and sin in the world. Like how awesome, right? I think I'm going to play basketball in heaven. I can't wait to play one-on-one with Peter, You know why? Because Peter sometimes irritates me when I read the scripture. It's like, come on, Peter, man, all right. I can't wait to dunk on Peter. My assumption is Peter's little, all right? My my holy imagination, their height was a little different than our height today, right? Just, we know that, that there. And so, I don't know. You know, I realize this, man. We get to see loved ones who've gone before us. Great reunion, right? Um, I can't wait to have a new resurrected, glorified body. Anyone else? There you go, right? I mean, I I keep telling everyone, you know what? I'm not taking this body to heaven. I'll eat all the Twinkies I want, right? (laughs) You're not taking it. I get a new glorified body. Listen, when Jesus resurrected, the disciples didn't even recognize him because they said he was in his glorified, resurrected body. I don't know what that looks like. I think pretty cool though, probably, right? I'm gonna ask God, can you give me at least a 12 pack, right? Give me something that looks... Good, give me some muscles. I don't have any muscles whatsoever. Little muscles, God, would be nice in heaven. But I think heaven will be great. You know, will there be streets of gold? I don't know. Um, was John in his revelation, is that the best descriptor that John could come up with as he saw the vision of what heaven looks like? Perhaps, perhaps there really are streets of gold. But perhaps they're not. Perhaps they're they're beautiful. And John's just like, they're like streets of gold. It's awesome. That'd be awesome. But I know this. God's prayer is, God, your kingdom come. On earth, right here, as it is in heaven. I think Christians are too often trying to get out of earth to get to heaven when Jesus is saying, I want heaven here on earth. Engage in it. Again, look forward to heaven. It's going to be great.
but you're created as a human being here on earth to usher in the kingdom of God until he calls you home. Are we foreigners to this land? Yes, but if you were meant for heaven, 100%, like right now, he would have created you as an angel. But he created you as a human being with a physical body to help usher in his kingdom on this temporary planet until we're called home. That's fun mission right there. And so what's interesting is I'm just gonna give you uh, three quick things on the kingdom of heaven, what we see in the New Testament about the kingdom of heaven. Then we're gonna do a parable and then we're gonna bring Matt up and he's gonna read to us really quick. But let me, if you're a note taker, I want to talk real quick three things about the kingdom of heaven because it's all throughout the scripture. So get these three principles. Number one, it is used, the word kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God is used 126 times in the gospels. That means here are the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the New Testament. Those four writers use the word kingdom of God 126 times. Do you think it's important to Jesus? The gospel means the good news. It's all about the life of Jesus. That's why we call those four the gospel writers. Now, outside of those four guys, the rest of the Newer Testament, so it's used 34 times. So very key what Jesus talks about. Here's what's interesting, is Matthew's the only one that uses kingdom of heaven and does not use kingdom of God. Are they the same thing? Absolutely. The question becomes, why does Matthew do this? Why does Matthew use kingdom of heaven and not kingdom of God? It's this reason. Matthew has an audience that he's writing his letter to. Do you know what Matthew's audience is? The Jews. Good job. Matthew, of all the gospel writers, is the most Jewish gospel. And the Jews do not say God's name. It's sacred. So he's entering in and helping them in his audience to say, I will help honor that too. I won't call it the kingdom of God in my writings. I'll call it the kingdom of heaven. Same thing. Come on, isn't that cool? That's Bible nerding with me, all right? Yeah. Do you know what gospel is written to Rome? The Romans? Mark, good job. Who's, who's firing these off? Good job. Yeah, Mark writes to the Romans. That's good. Who does Luke write to? His gospel. Someone said it over here. The Theophilus. He writes that one. Yeah, see, I, I, oh man, I will Bible nerd with you in a moment here. This is fun. All right, we got to go though. Okay, um, can't stay Bible nerding forever though. So kingdom of God. The question now becomes then, what is the kingdom of God? I'm going to put it in two, two words, the simplest word. Are you ready? The kingdom of God is God's reign. It's God's reign, his power, his presence, his rule, his action, his authority, his lordship. It is God's Reign is the kingdom. And what Jesus is teaching his disciples to do in the kingdom of God is he's praying that God, your reign be here on earth because this earth is a little messy. It's got sin in it and it distorts and it disrupts and it breaks things. But God, your kingdom that heals all, that brings shalom, which is wholeness. I want that to reign here. But here's the issue. Today in our culture, not just Christians, but unbelievers walk around sitting there going, my reign, my kingdom. And sometimes Christians have that attitude. That attitude says, 
Jesus, bless me, and you're along for my ride in my kingdom. And you know what some Christians will do? They'll distort God's word in order to make it fit their kingdom. And that's not right. See, because now they become authority and we submit to the authority of scripture. Even if it makes you scratch your head from time to time. You know what you do then? God, everything inside of me wants to butt up against this. What you read and you sit there and go, but teach me your ways, not mine. God, it says pray for those who persecute. I want to just smack those who want to persecute me. I want to pray that fire would fall down upon them because I don't like them right now. So God, teach me to pray for those who persecute me. And we submit to here. See, my reins crept into the, the American church. Let me ask you, who's on the throne of your heart? You or is God? We just sang a song, Jesus, you are king of kings. Do we really mean that? Or do we say, Jesus, I'm king. You be my servant. Ooh. And here, last song I'm going to say. They're going to teach you what a parable is real quick, okay? We desire God's reign and God's kingdom here on earth. And please hear me. The kingdom will not be decided by an elephant or a donkey. The kingdom will be decided by the lion of Judah. And that's where we stand. And the lion of Judah should allow us to then vote smartly and vote through his eyes. Not any other eyes. But we to submit to Jesus Christ. So, Jesus teaches us what's known as parables. Let me hear you say parable. So that's how Jesus teaches parables to bring in the kingdom of God. Here's a quick basic definition of what the Greek word means for parable. It means this, to throw alongside. Okay, so what happens is Jesus is gonna bring a principle or a teaching about the kingdom of God and he will do it with a story, a parable, and he'll throw it alongside what his biblical principle or teaching about the kingdom of God means. Does that make sense? So it just means to throw alongside. In other words, a parable can be described as a story with intent. There is purpose within the story. A parable is a story. And this is what makes Jesus a masterful communicator because he does this so well. His parables are beautiful and his parables always reflect that ancient culture that they live in today. And that's what this series is gonna do to help us understand this upside down kingdom that looks differently from the world that Jesus is trying to teach us about, that God is trying to usher in when this kingdom yells persecute them God's kingdom yells forgiveness when God when this world yells hey hatred is the best way God's kingdom says love them through me even though with grace and truth by the way don't lean on grace because grace without truth is meaningless but truth without grace is mean 
And it said, Jesus came with grace and truth. And that's the wrestle we have in our culture today. A parable also means this. It means it's, the idea is to awaken insight and move us to action for the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is trying to do. He's bringing a principle of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and trying to move the audience to awaken something inside of them and move them to action. So I want to give you briefly, and then Matt's going to come up, and we're going to get into the first parable. Here are four quick characteristics of Jesus's parables. Now remember, Jesus' parables are stories, right? So the Good Samaritan, it's a story. It's a parable that he's bringing in principles to, to explain the kingdom of God or the way of Jesus. So here's quickly, a few note takers, characteristics of Jesus's parables. Number one is this, all of Jesus's parables are brief, are brief. They're really short, except one or two. There's a couple that are a little long, but most of them are all brief stories. Here's some interesting facts. 60% of Jesus's parables are four verses or less. Short. Jesus knows how to get his point across, right? Maybe uh, 16% are actually 10 or more verses. So majority, real short parables, real short story with a spiritual intent to give, okay? Second characteristic is Jesus's parables are marked by simplicity and symmetry. Simplicity means Jesus's uh, parables are very simple, there's a couple of parables that you and I have to travel back 2,000 years because Jesus is using their culture. And so we got to go back 2,000 years, understand their culture, and we can grab principles out of it. All right? But there's always cement, um, symmetry to it. So look through scripture. You always have like a this and then a that in his parables, but it's, there's symmetry. So begin to look at, you know, most of your headings in your, in your word should actually say parable. And many times, look through those and you'll see this beautiful symmetry that's happening, okay? Two more. Um, most of Jesus's parables focus on humans, except today's parable does not focus on humans, okay? Just hang in there. I realize, well, that's a great way to start. Tell them it mostly focuses on humans, then don't even do one on humans, all right? Here's some of the humans that it focuses on. Farmers, big deal. They're an agriculture world back then. Shepherds, servants, masters, uh, women, fathers, kings, uh, brides, all that stuff. Jesus mostly, most of his parables focus on humans. And then lastly, um, Jesus's parables appear in larger collections of parables, what I mean by that is most of the time you'll never see a single parable taught by Jesus. It either comes with a second or a third one. The reason why is because in the ancient world, the Jews lived by Deuteronomy 19.15. It reads this way, a matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So what is Jesus doing? Bringing that kingdom of God principle and he's bringing a parable to throw alongside his principle, but he's giving two to three witnesses, stories, illustration to bring credibility to the parable. That was marked by their world was Deuteronomy 1915. I love the book. It's called Stories with Intent by Klein Singross. He says this about a parable. A good parable creates distance, 
provokes and appeals. By creating distance, it gives the hearer, reader, space to reconsider. By provoking, the parable requires new channels of thought. And by appealing, the parable seeks decisions that bring behavior into line with the teller's intent. So when Jesus speaks in parables... The audience is glued. He's using their cultural context to deliver spiritual truths about the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus wants a behavioral change. He wants them to get it. And all throughout this summer, actually through the end of July, we're going to be in this upside down kingdom and look at some of the teachings and parables that Jesus brought about the kingdom of God and what it means to you and I. So what's really cool too is throughout this series, you're going to have teenagers and kids on stage. And when, the, when we're going to get into the parable, they're going to read us the parable. So you guys are going to see this younger generation up on stage reading the parable. So I'm going to bring up Matt at this time. If you got your Bible or your word uh, on a phone, will you turn with Matthew chapter 9, verse 16. Matthew chapter 9, verse 16. And just stay right there for a moment. My uh, microphone guy is outside right now. So, oh, we got one. We got one. So, uh, Matt, real quick, while they turn there. Uh, actually, if you're there, we at Radiant Life like to say word. If you're there, say word. We like to get in the word until the word changes who? Us. Yeah, you guys are good. All right. Matt, real quick before you read, tell us, you just graduated. I did. Nice. Uh, where are you headed off to? Uh, the United States Military Academy at West Point. That awesome. Good for Matt, right? You leave soon? Saturday. Oh, he leaves Saturday. Yeah. So that was another reason. Uh, first, the nine o'clock service, we brought up uh, Connor Strudwick, who also just graduated with Matt, and he's headed to Tulsa to play football. And then we're like, hey, we'll get Toner up here too, because we know Toner's leaving soon. Then he's going to go do what God has called him to do and make impact there. So uh, what translation are you going to read from? Uh, ESV. The ESV. That's a good one. That gets you thinking, the ESV. I'm just telling you, it's a really good one, though. All right, I'll hold, you want to hold the mic? Yes, you want me? All right, you got it. Let's get into God's word. NIV's on the screen. He's going to read ESV. Let's get into God's word. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. The word of the Lord. Can we thank Matt for coming up? Thanks, buddy. Thank you. I just love seeing our, our next gen, you know, forget calling them next gen. They're our current generation. Right, let's just call it what it is. We're all of our current generation. But you're going to hear from teens, you're going to hear maybe some young adults and some kids every Sunday come up and read the parable for us. And I love that. Well, let's jump in because we got to, oh, you know what? I lied to you. I said it was on the screen and it never was, huh? <laughs> That's my bad. Uh, my bad. 
Yeah, I was just really excited for him, so I, I lost track. Hey, let's jump back, because we don't know. Uh, context of this parable that Jesus is teaching is this. There's a guy by the name of John the Baptist, who's the cousin of Jesus. John the Baptist is what we call the forerunner of Jesus. He's proclaiming that this Messiah is going to come, the Savior's going to come, and you all need to repent and be baptized, okay? And so he's the cousin of, of Jesus, and John the Baptist has some disciples. And then the Pharisees are there as well. And they're asking the question, why do we all fast, but your disciples, Jesus, don't? They're confused. And this is the context that Jesus delivers this parable. But he uses significant things in the ancient world. They just know. I mean, we can look at the first one and go, hey, yeah, don't put unshrunk cloth on, on old garment. Because we know as soon as you wash it, there's going to be some tearing, right? You just don't put something new on something old unless you do some certain things first. Then he goes into this other parable about wine. You know, we have to jump into the ancient world and understand how they made wine in order for this parable to make sense. So let me show you an ancient world, in the ancient world, a picture here of how they made wine in the ancient world. What you've noticed here is that where those four guys are stomping grapes, that's known as the treading floor. You would pull the grapes out and dry them in the sun in order for the sugar content to rise in the grapes. Then you would take the grapes and put them in the treading floor, and then you would go have fun and stomp on them all day, right? And then the juice would go down this little valley or channel into what's known as a vat. It's in the vat then they would put a lid over and what's known as fermentation would then take place. Here's a couple things about fermentation. Number one, yeast from the grape skins began the fermentation process. So it's not, and it wasn't the juice, it was the yeast from the skins that produced it produced it, produced the fermentation. Number two, as the grape juice fermented through the yeast, it actually bubbled in the vat. It would take normally three to five days for the whole process to happen. And you know when it's done by basis of what? It's not bubbling anymore. So now you're done. And then you would do one of two things. You would put them in either jars or wineskins. Now, in the ancient world, jars were used primarily for storing for later use. The jars were coated with wax because they're clay jars. They were coated with wax of either pine or bees to prevent leaking from happening. They would often put a clay stopper at the top of the jar, and then they would put first, before the clay stopper, a thin uh, layer of olive oil on the top in case any grud would come to the surface or any, preventing anything in, that would trap it, and then you could just scoop out the top and get rid of it and have your pure wine with the topper there. That was one way. But Jesus tells us clearly in his parable, he's teaching us about wineskins, this was your journeyman sack to carry wine. Here's a picture of an ancient wineskin. I know it looks like, like a, a hog roasting on a fire, right? That's what it kind of looks like. A wineskin's made of animal skin. Most of the time, mostly it was goat skin. 
okay? And it would look like that because they tied all the corners of the goat skin and then there would be one rope that would come up over here and you could just sling that on your back and you'd be good. The old wine skin had already stretched to its limits. When you put, even though the grape juice is now wine and fermented, when you put it in to the wine skin, the grape juice, now wine, would still release some gases, therefore expanding the wine skin to its max capacity. So when Jesus says, I can't pour new wine into old wine skins because new wine would tear the seams of the old wine skins. The old wineskins had already stretched enough and there is no more elasticity for it to stretch. Now we know, as Jesus says, they will pour new wine into new wineskins because Jesus is saying, I can't pour this new wine into old wineskins because it is beyond its stretching. In other words, Jesus is saying, I need a new vessel to contain my new work. Remember who the audience was of this parable. John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders in the ancient world. And they had their 613 laws that you made sure you had to abide by. Who did Jesus butt heads with the most in the ancient world? The Pharisees, why? Because Jesus said, I'm doing a new thing and you guys won't listen and adopt. You're stuck in your ways. But I'm ushering the kingdom of God and it's gonna be a new wineskin, one that can stretch in order to fulfill or receive my new wine that I'm bringing in. I'm bringing in this new kingdom that's upside down to what you guys are used to. God is doing a new thing and you can't receive it. I thought to myself, well, how many of us are old wineskins? How many of us that Jesus wants to pour new wine into us? But we've lost the ability to stretch. We've lost the ability to receive anymore. And he's looking for a new vessel to contain his new work. You know, some areas that you and I could have an old wineskin. It's unfortunate that it creeps into our faith and, our, and the, you know, the church of God. It creeps in. But part of it, you know you're an old wineskin when you keep looking back and said the greater days are behind us. That you keep looking back and said, well, when I was growing up, we did it this way. God's doing a new thing now. And we want to receive what he's doing. Please hear me. I honor our past of our church. I honor that in 1989, this building was built. Many of you were here. I honor that. I honor the two couples that left Coldwater, Michigan to come over here in 1948 and start this church. I honor that. But I'm going to tell you, and I know their hearts and the pastors before me would also say, there's a new work. Keep your eyes forward, church. God's doing a new thing. That we can't keep living in the rearview mirror. I, I pray and hope, some of you 
may vote against this, but I pray and hope I have a long term here with you all. This summer, this crazy, this July 19th, my, my wife and I, we've been here ni- or 19 years, that's wrong. Seven years, we've been here seven years. <laughs> uh, I know, now that number doesn't look as big when I said 19, huh? Seven years, and I pray to God we have longevity here. I also pray to God in 20 years, whether I'm your lead pastor or someone else, I'm praying, God, continue to do a new work. May they be a new wineskin. May they continue to move as your spirit moves and go wherever you lead them. That's gonna be my prayer and heart for all of us. And old wineskins, we sit and look back and we go, wow, what happens with old wineskins, it's actually our preference. (laughs) You know, some of us, we want the hymns back. Uh, I like that, which is, I I, I get, but you know, there's this new thing called this, this kind of worship that we do. And I don't want to say that music is better than this music. I want to say it's all about the worshiping of him, not my preferences and hold me accountable to this. If God says, listen, my new thing I'm going to do is have banjos on your stage. We're all going to pray together and discern God's good and pleasing will. If that's really his pleasing will. I mean, some of us, we're hoping not, but I'll be a new wineskin if that's what you want. Listen, if we go back to hymns, we go back to hymns. If we do something brand new that looks completely different, then we'll do. We want to go where the spirit goes. We want to be a new vessel. We want to be new wineskin to receive his new work that he's doing. But listen, we will never change his message just to fit culture. This is foundational truth. And that's why with so many of us, You see, there's just division within the church. A new wineskin is us, not his word. And we must know that. We don't change this. We have to change us. And what we also have to change is maybe perhaps the message never changes, but the method that we deliver the message might. You know, 20 years from now, who knows what church looks like, right? I don't know what it's going to look like. I really believe this upcoming generation has got a new thing for us. You know, I know this new generation. uh, I love the high schoolers in this room. Um, You know, there's sometimes I scratch my head and I don't get him, right? Like TikTok. I don't get TikTok, right? I know I look old right now, don't I? Look at you guys, sorry. I mean, there's teens over here like... I I don't get it. I don't get watching these TikTok videos. And then they say, you know what TikTok taught me? I'm like, what? (laughs) TikTok taught you something? Like all that, you know, and I'm still stuck on Facebook and they think that's like old grandpa now, right? Um, But here's the heart of that generation of our teens right now. They want to make a difference. They want to get behind a cause and make a difference. And that I can appreciate right? They are now not, they're not questioning the church and it's called this deconstruction movement. You want to talk about it? I'm willing to, I'll nerd out with you, but it's called a deconstruction movement that's happening in the younger generation saying is the institution of the church, right? Can I say this? If you're part of the deconstruction movement, the church has broken people. We're trying our best to help usher in the kingdom of God. And look like Jesus Christ every day through the power and work and presence of Holy Spirit. We'll get it wrong. Every church will get it wrong. But you cannot deconstruct the bride of Christ because that's scriptural. I think they got a new way to do church. 
Not that it's wrong. I just think they're going to challenge us to think differently. And I want to be open if that's what he's, he's doing. What are you? Where in your life are you still an old wineskin? For me, it was in 2019, I had to repent because I was still an old wineskin when it came to a third of the Trinity. I wanted to stiff arm Holy Spirit more and more. And I've shared my story from this stage about just how I saw it abused and I was just like, no, that's, like, that's, that's not gonna happen. And in 2019, I had to repent and it's got just to make me new. <laughs> Ryan, I have a new work for you and you gotta be a new wineskin. But in order to get there, we have to have a posture of openness. To sit there and go, God, this is it. I may not fully understand it, but I'm going to trust in your faithfulness. And this is my posture. I'm open to you. I'm open. Greg Paul wrote this incredible quote about this idea. He says this, what we really want in our lives is to be so open that God can direct us, mold us, shift us to be people who are malleable in the hands of the Holy Spirit. That is new wineskin with new wine. Many of you know, you may know this guy. Dwight L. Moody, also known as D.L. Moody. You may have heard of Moody Bible Institute downtown Chicago, named after this guy. This guy was a pretty good preacher. In fact, D.L. Moody often preached in the evening and when he was younger, he was preaching and he got done and these two older ladies came up to him and said, Pastor, we're gonna be praying for you. To which he's like, I mean, I, I received that. I, I want prayer, it's good, right? And then the next evening he preached, the two old ladies were there again and they said, after he got done, he's like, Pastor, we're gonna be praying for you. Now he's starting to get a little offensive. Like, what do you mean? Like, do I got something wrong? I don't know. Like, I got lettuce in my tooth when I'm up on stage. Like, I don't know what they're praying about. So he finally asked them. And they said, we're going to pray that you receive the power of the Spirit when you preach. He was a little, a little inside, like, I still didn't understand because he thought he was doing a good thing. He thought he was bringing the word. One day, D.L. Moody was walking the streets of New York City in prayer. Praying for the city, praying for brokenness, praying for himself. And he says, as I walked the streets of New York City, the Holy Spirit fell on me in a powerful way. And he says, I was in so much joy. I told God, you got to take me to heaven now because I can't contain the joy of the Spirit right now. And he goes back. And now D.L. Moody's preaching with passion and fire. And those ladies are like, yeah, that is what we were praying. See, D.L. Moody realized I needed to be a new wineskin for this new wine, this new work that Jesus wanted to do in me. But it started with D.L. Moody and you and I with complete repentance and surrender. 
completely re- complete repentance of turning our direction to say, God, we were walking this way and we're done. Your way is better. And complete surrender knowing it's not my reign, but your reign. Have your way. Have your way. I love what Paul writes to the church in Rome and to the church at Philippi. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. Some of us, that's our new wineskin. So we need a new way of thinking. Philippians 2.5, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. That's new wineskin. That his mind would become ours. And then Paul says this to the church in Rome about the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom. So my question I want us to all wrestle with. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? Where do we need to repent, surrender, be open, become a new wineskin? Because I truly believe God's got a new work in you and in me. Close your eyes and we're just going to sit in that question. Just ask all these, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? God, we want to receive everything you have for us. So in complete repentance and complete surrender, we give it over to you. God, we want the new wine. We want the new work that you have for us. But we must become new wineskin so you can pour into us. So Father, whatever those hangups are, that we're still an old wineskin there, God. Would you reveal that to us over this next, next week? Would you reveal more and more of where we just must become that new wineskin? Because what your work that you have for us, this new work, this new doing, this new, the way to forgive that's new because we've been holding bitterness. The way to love our spouse so well just happen whatever it is father will we we give you a posture of openness to say pour it pour it out and just as your spirit hovered over the waters in genesis 1 over the darkness and over the void of the waters god as the spirit was poured out in acts chapter 2 upon your apostles and now they went and help ushered in the kingdom of god would you do that now Would you pour your spirit out? Would you fill us with who you are? Help us to become new wineskins so you can pour out the new wine. That we have greater things yet to come. I believe the best is yet to come, God. And help us just to be open. Help this church to be a new wineskin.
skin, that were fully devoted to your power and your authority of your word, that we don't change it for anything, but we submit to you and your word and your authority because we cry out, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May it not be our kingdom. May it not be our reign, but your reign in our life. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.